Well, let us now give our attention to the Word of God, holy and true, eternal, and forever fixed in the heavens. And I invite you to Second John, the Word of the Lord in Second John. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. And now I ask you, lady, not as writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, that you might not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please join me uh, now in another time of prayer. O great Father, creator of all things in heaven and in earth, we bow before you this morning with humble hearts and with open minds we set ourselves before you, the one true object of our worship. We're so thankful for your abundant love and your mercy, for that which you have continually poured out upon your children, for the graces moment by moment, hour by hour, and every day. They're new every morning. Your steadfast love is to us the precious dew of the morning. It is the precious water upon our lives during the day. It is the calming waters of peace that you lead us to. Look upon us with favor this morning, Father, as we seek your face and ask for your will to be done. We remember those who are ill or those who are at homebound, those receiving medical treatments and various um, things prescribed by the, by the doctors. May you cause all of these things to be effective. May you as the great physician, though, heal the bodies of those who are sick. And Lord, we're so thankful that though our bodies are failing in this life, our souls are sure, and they are healed, and are being healed, and will ultimately and fully be received into glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those who are being tempted this morning. Surely there are many prayers on the, on the minds of those who are here, many challenges and temptations, many um, voices in the world that want to draw us away from Christ, our Redeemer. 
and pray you would give strength to those souls who are tempted. Bring them back, strengthen the feeble knees, strengthen the hands that we may come and serve you and put our hand to the plow, not looking back. We pray that you would make a way of escape for them as the scripture teaches so that they might endure. And Lord, we ask that you would unify us as a body of Christ in this location. You would make us of one spirit that we might give testimony to the world that we love one another and that we are united in the spirit of Christ. That though we are varied and diverse in our persons, in our lives, in our situations, you've made us one in the new birth. And may they see that in our love for one another and our love for them, our neighbor. And may they glorify our Father who is in heaven. We pray this morning that you would bless and expand our ministries here at Grace Bible Church to Oklahoma City and beyond, that Christ might be magnified, that his kingdom would grow, and that we, each of us would ask how we might serve you in your kingdom, how that we might individually uh, use our gifts and our spiritual abilities that you have gifted us with. Every one of us have them, that we might serve you, and in our part we might work together for the kingdom of Christ while we wait for him to come. We're thankful this morning for fathers. We thank you for their love, for their guidance, for their protection. May they, by the grace of God, reflect the tender love and the leadership uh, which the scriptures teach. Give grace to fathers and to families in a day when the father, the role of the father as designed by God is, is being undermined, is being deteriorated, is being put down and looked down upon. Lord, we, we, Thank you for fatherhood. We thank you for godly men who assume the right role of leadership and love their family and raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. May you give us each and every one grace to do so. Now we pray for the ministry of your holy word. As your servant Jay holds forth from Second John this morning, may we have seeing eyes and hearing ears that we might know the power of the word of God in the hand of the Spirit of God. And may your will be done. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our one and only Redeemer. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. Over the past uh, few weeks, I have uh, spent a lot of time in uh, this letter of the elder to the chosen, or in some translations, the elect lady and her children. I found the letter to be amazing in its depth of love and concern for a group of Christians in peril, and its depth of theological richness. Though it's the second shortest letter in all of the New Testament, eclipsed only in shortness by John's third letter, which is shorter by about 25 words, but in such a short letter, it's just full of uh, theological beauties and richness. Uh, and I've really found a lot of encouragement uh, in the letter uh, concerning recent days, uh, particularly my mother's uh, stroke, her hospitalization, uh, that encouragement is particularly as I think about her being enveloped in the Lord's grace and mercy and peace. Uh, uh, perhaps more about that a little bit later. Okay, just uh, by way of some background on this letter, uh, it's attributed to the elder. Uh, 
the church has recognized uh, the author, the elder, as the Apostle John, writing late in his life, uh, after the fall of Jerusalem, uh, uh, John uh, moved to Ephesus. It's likely where he is writing this letter. And he's writing to the elect lady, or in some translations, uh, as Ronnie read, the chosen lady and her children. We don't know whether the uh, elect lady and her children were actual persons known uh, to John, or whether he is using uh, the term the elect lady and her children as a reference to a local church body and the members of that church. Either way, uh, the uncertainty does not diminish the universal value of the letter through the centuries because John was concerned about a grave peril that existed then and still threatens us today. That threat is deception, a deception that goes to the very heart of the Christian faith, and if yielded to, brings spiritual ruin on those who are deceived by it. That's the heart of the letter. Um, it's what everything hinges on. Uh, is for Christians to stay in the truth and abide in the teachings of Christ. That's the point of verse 9. If you're reading the ESV, it says, everyone who goes on ahead... Um, in other translations, uh, what Ronnie read or the NIV, those who go too far and uh, does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So that's a little bit of the background. Uh, the author, uh, perhaps the recipients of the letter, the first readers of it, uh, and the overarching theme of the letter is to stay in the truth because of all that hinges upon it. Uh, so what I want to think with you this morning is within the letter, John gives us three primary things to consider about the truth. The first is the reason for staying in the truth. Uh, the second is the provision for staying in the truth. And lastly, the reward for staying in the truth. Okay. So first, the reason for staying in the truth. Notice the peril John describes in verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ is the, in the flesh. He calls uh, that one the deceiver and the antichrist. Deceivers have gone out into the world in John's time. They are many. And they are doing the bidding of our most ancient and formidable enemy, the Antichrist, who delights in devouring Christians. Sadly, the deceivers had their beginning in the church, but they have left the faith, and they're now engaged in wicked acts. They want to gain a foothold um, among unsuspecting, undiscerning Christians so that they may spread their deception, and hence the uh, warning to the lady um, uh, not to give them any greeting, to welcome 
them into your household. Right? Uh, the lady must have been a most hospitable person. Uh, so John didn't have to write to encourage uh, the grace and gift of hospitality. He just says, do it with discernment, okay? And do not greet and welcome in and show hospitality to those who are spreading this deception. John writes more fully about this in uh, his first letter, 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 14. You can turn there, but you might just listen. Here it is. He says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, okay? They went out from us among the church, the visible church, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar, he says, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. That's the heart of the deception that John is writing about, denying that Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh. And thus, if you carry it out to its logical extension, denying that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That deception, if believed, undermines the entire Christian gospel. Consider the implications to your faith if the Son of God has not come in the flesh. If there is no incarnation, the Son of God taking upon himself uh, human flesh, you have no gospel. Because here's what falls if the incarnation of Christ is not true. The Lord's promise of Genesis 3, of one born of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent is unfulfilled. You are still in your sins because you have no Christ who died in your place. You have no peace with God because you are still at enmity with Him. You have not been reconciled in Christ. You have no righteousness before a holy God because you have no Christ to give you His righteousness. You have no resurrection life in Christ, because if he didn't die as the God-man, then he was not raised from the dead for you. You have no ascended Christ seated at the right hand of God the Father, and so you have no king in heaven. You have no spirit of God dwelling in you, because the spirit was to be sent forth according to the promise of Jesus Christ he made in the flesh. And if you have no risen Christ, then there is no sending forth of this Spirit. If Christ was not God in the flesh, you have no grace, mercy, or peace in this life, and no prospect of life and glory with Him beyond the grave, because He will not return for you. So if Christ did not come in the flesh, we are the most pitiful of people.
That's essentially what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, (laughs) because he's not the God-man, we of all people are most to be pitied. There is an aspect of the deception that I don't want you to miss. Uh, Namely, it's dressed up in Christianity. It's deception mixed with some truth, and that's what makes it deceiving. But the deception corrupts the whole message. Notice verse 9. John describes the deception in going too far. Something false is being added. James Boyce characterizes this going too far with the word progressive. New doctrines and teachings that do not square with the Bible. So think what you will about progressive politics, but progressive theology kills And part of the problem is people are always looking for something new. That's the essence of marketing, to get you dissatisfied with the tried and true and to go after the new and improved. And that's okay if it's soap or shampoo. It's not okay with the essential doctrines of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So, begin to think about this um, in the Christian world today. Where might deception be wrapped up in a form of Christianity that goes too far? Let me throw out a couple of thoughts. How about this deception? God is love. Well, he certainly is but goes too far to say, and there are many roads to God. Christianity is a road to God. <clears throat> we think it is the only road to God. goes too far to say that there are other roads uh, besides Christ to the one true living God. Or how about this, um, the teaching that God does not know all things, and does not ordain all things that come to pass, both in the past, the present, and the future, but he has to adapt to changing circumstances. That's a, that's a doctrine being taught. There's a survey from 2020, it was done by Lifeway, that showed that just these things are out there. <laughs> in mass, it's out there. Um, the survey says, while most Americans believe in God, they're very confused about the nature and the attributes of God. Seven in ten Americans say God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Well, that's something that goes too far. 
55% believe that Jesus is the first and greatest created being. Another 50% say he was a great teacher but not God. Close to 60% believe that the Holy Spirit is a force but not a personal being. We call that Star Wars theology, right? 60, two-thirds of the U.S. adults say God is a perfect being and cannot make mistakes, but half say he learns and adapts to different circumstances. That is two-thirds of the entire U.S. population. Say it isn't so among the evangelicals. Last year, Ligonier did a survey that shows half of evangelicals believe that that God's knowledge is not comprehensive, uh, all things possible and uh, all things actual, but that he learns and he adapts to changing circumstances. You're undermining the whole sovereignty of God with that. Okay, goes too far. So does that give you a better understanding of the peril behind Uh, John's concern for the chosen lady and her children, it's still a peril for those who fall prey to deception today. So that's the reason John is warning and wanting his readers to stay in the truth and the teachings of Christ. Because if you leave the truth, you do not have God. But if you stay and abide in the truth, he says you have both the Father and the Son. Now you may say to yourself, as I said to myself, who is sufficient for this to stay in the truth, given the gravity of it? Well, let's go there. You'll notice in John's letter that the Christian has more than sufficient provision for staying in the truth. First, pardon me, you'll notice uh, the word chosen or elect at the very beginning of the letter and at the very end when John sends greeting to the chosen lady from her chosen sister. That's our first provision. We are chosen by the Father in Christ for salvation. And what the Lord has determined to do for his chosen people before the foundation of the world he will accomplish. Okay. I love this verse in um, Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant who we know is Jesus. It's Isaiah 53, verse 11, and I'm really... uh, I I like the King James version of it. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus went to the cross... And he died for us to redeem us. And he will not be fully satisfied for what he has done for us until all is accomplished. And every single person for whom he died is with him in the age to come, in the glories with him in heaven. Then he'll be satisfied and that everything he died for has been accomplished. And until that day, he is continuing to accomplish everything for which he died. And that includes keeping us in the faith. Paul puts it this way. 
In Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. On that day, Christ will be fully satisfied for all the travail of soul he had on the cross. All right, that's the first provision, the electing love of the Father and the whole plan of redemption for us. The next provision is the truth itself. John says, dwells in us already, the believer. And, he says, will be with us forever. Okay. And there you have the blessings of the better covenant, uh, preached so well by Ronnie last week that uh, the Lord puts his law in our hearts. The truth is already invested in us by the Lord of truth, and it will be with us forever. That's part of our provision for staying in the truth. Uh, next provision, we have uh, the love of the saints. Uh, John sends greeting to the uh, chosen lady whom he loves in truth. He also says, uh, and also all those who have known the truth. So what helps comes to us from the love and the fellowship of the saints? What helps us to stay in the truth individually and as a church assembly? Well, how about praying for one another? Imitating Paul who said in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 9, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's the truth. That you be filled with it, and so you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We might say from John, walking in Christ's teachings and commandments. That comes Part of the means of that, I should say, and provision comes through your prayers for each other that we individually and as a church would hold to the truth and we would all walk in the truth and not stray from it. Beyond prayer, we also bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's Galatians chapter 6. And then specifically regarding the truth, You'll find in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth to love is a provision for us for staying in the truth because he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up every, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Well, those are great provisions so far, right? Um, Adding to um, the provisions that come from within the church, the family of faith, which, by the way, is a reason you want to be connected to a church body, okay? Because of all that it means for life uh, and staying in the truth. But added to that, there are the three great divine provisions in verse 3. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and from His Son, Jesus Christ, are great provisions for us in this journey. Quickly, grace is the Lord's benevolent intentions and favor towards us, working all things for our good. We are weak, but God's grace is sufficient. 
remember uh, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 to 10, when he's thinking about actually uh, sharing part of his autobiography about a weakness that plagued him. Um, the word of the Lord to Paul about that weakness was this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, Paul could reply, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness. And all other manner of calamities, he says, by the way, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Uh, that's grace. Grace helps us in our weakness. And it's more than sufficient for us. And after grace, there is mercy. Mercy is the Lord's ever-present help in times of trouble. You have um, Psalm 34, verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all trouble. Psalm 46, God is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. Hebrews 4, uh, a New Testament corollary to the old, again, uh, saying to you that there's continuity in the graces and provisions from the Old Testament to the new for the people of God. Hebrews 4, verse 16, because of God's grace and mercy and having a high priest who understands our weaknesses, says to us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need to help. Lastly, with the provision of God's grace and mercy, we have his provision of divine peace. Perhaps John, our author, was recalling the words he heard from Jesus in the upper room when, frankly, all hell was about to break loose. Um, What does he say to them? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And you think about um, all of the pressures that came upon the disciples to leave the truth. The persecutions, um, all of the uh, false prophets around, the pressures from... uh, what are called the Judaizers, to return to the Old Testament law and find your salvation there, not in the new covenant in Christ. You had what were called the libertines that said, you got grace abounding, go send your brains out. All the pressures uh, upon these disciples. And in the midst of that, um, Christ says, look, I'm going to leave you my peace. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. The peace that Christ gives corresponds with the word shalom in the Old Testament. And that has the idea of making something whole, wholeness. Uh, I quoted this in the first hour. It's from Ian Hamilton. Um, God's peace, his shalom, speaks of his pledged commitment to make us whole, 
to restore us and reconcile us to himself, to overcome every obstacle, every obstacle, and that would include all of the surrounding deception that stands in our way. He overcomes every obstacle to secure our everlasting blessedness. He says this peace is salvation in its fullest expression. So we have that peace. Divine peace will guard our hearts in this journey. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it everything you do flows. Again, I read the proverb and I wonder, man, how in the world can I guard my heart? And the answer is, I can't do that of my own strength. So I fall back on Paul's words in Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will what? Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I think we can say this peace that comes from Christ that he gives us, and remember all the gifts of God are irrevocable. They will never be taken back. In some great measure guards us, our hearts and our minds in Christ to stay in the truth. This peace is in keeping with the promise of Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Okay, well lastly, we've considered now uh, the reasons why it is so important to stay in the truth. The great provisions God has given us for staying in the truth, both uh, from the church itself, but also directly from the divine giver of help. Now let's think about the reward for staying in the truth and walking in the Lord's commandment. In verse 8, John calls it a full reward. The reward is twofold. You have God and you have eternal life. In verse 9, John says, If you abide in the teachings, you have both the Father and the Son. Elsewhere in the letters of John, and here's where it's so helpful to have a knowledge of, of uh, John's other writings because this letter is so short, but he is pulling into this letter so much from his other writings. In 1 John <clears throat> verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 12 to 13, he says, whoever has the Son, okay, now go back to 2 John, if you abide in the teachings, you have the Son and the Father. Now he's going to tell us, whoever has the Son has life. He says, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And he says, I'm writing to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You have assurance in this. To have the Son is to believe in Him. Then, to believe in His name, to trust Him continually, and then to walk and abide in His commandments. 
or to use another of John's writings where he records the very words of Christ given to the disciples in the upper room shortly before he will be betrayed. He says to them, this is John 15, Abide in me, and I in you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be, and here's a word, full. Full joy corresponding to John's full reward. The full joy will flower into a full reward when we are with Christ in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. It's hard to comprehend what that will be like. Um, I love, though, how the writer of the letter to the Hebrews paints the picture for us in a brief few words. He says, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable, pardon me, innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. That's full joy. That's full reward for all the trials and troubles and tribulations in this life and for staying steadfast in the truth. Okay, I said at the outset this morning that I've taken great encouragement from this letter of John, especially for my mother who has suffered a massive stroke, because what I see when I'm with her in the hospital is distressing, okay? But what does the Word do for me? It gives me the true perspective of what's going on. Again, she's not regained full consciousness, but no matter, okay? No matter. She is as safe in that hospital bed as she would be if she were already atop of Mount Zion. Why is that? Because she is a Christian You've seen her here. She hears the word. She responds to it. She displays her love. The children seem to gather around her as their adopted grandmother. Uh, She's a devout Christian. I might call her that chosen lady, or at least the elect sister of that lady. So, grace and mercy and peace is with her now, even though she is perhaps unaware of it because of the stroke. You see, what you see with your eyes is passing away and transient, okay? What John is doing for us here is giving us the perspective of the unseen, the things that are eternal and not passing away, that grace and mercy there to help, okay? And mercy might be receiving into glory. It might be restoration and some measure of recovery. I don't know. It's uncertain as far as I can tell, but I know what is certain. 
for her and every believer uh, is that she's enveloped with this grace and mercy and peace no matter what the circumstances are. And that's true for you today. I don't know what your circumstances are today. Perhaps you're awash in some measure of distress because what you see with your eyes, you need to look beyond what you see, the transient things, and think about the unseen things that John is holding forth for us. Okay. What questions should you be asking yourself now? What question should you not be asking yourself? So John begins his letter and ends it with this word, elect or chosen. Here's the question you should not ask yourself. Am I chosen? You don't ask that question because it's looking at it from the wrong perspective. Who the Lord chose before the beginning of time is known only in the secret council of the Trinity. If you really want to ask a question, you just got to ask a question about choosing. Here's the question to ask. Have I chosen the Lord over all the false gods in the world? Where do I get that question? From Joshua 24, 15, choose you this day who you will serve, whether the gods of Egypt, those whom your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. We might say the gods of America, where you dwell. But as for me and my house, what do I choose? I will serve the Lord. But if you look really at at Second John. And by the way, you know why you don't ask that question, am I elect? Again, that's looking from the perspective of the divine down to earth. Right? The gospel's not presented with this question. Are you elect? The gospel comes with a question, what shall I do to be saved? And what's the answer? Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the perspective you ought to look as humble, miserable sinners looking to Jesus who said, come to me, all, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. See, that's looking at the perspective of the one in need going to the one who can meet your need. Okay. You don't get all twisted up with election. Okay. Go to Second John, and here's the questions you should be asking. And I ask myself, am I walking in the truth? Am I walking in the Lord's commandments? Am I abiding in the doctrine of Christ? If the answer is no, then what? Well, take heed to yourself, lest you have not God nor the prospect of a future with God. It may be you need to confess and repent and then begin to walk as John instructs you. Or you may need to go back to the very first principle of the Christian faith and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the very one who said again, come to me and I'll give you rest. Hopefully, the answers to those questions are yes, 
I'm walking in the commandments of God. I'm loving my neighbor. Not perfectly, but that's my desire, okay? I'm in the truth. I believe the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, okay? And you can answer yes because you've already come to Christ and you've taken your yoke upon yourself. And so if the answer is yes, you can take heart because God says, you have God. The Father and the Son, they're on your side, okay? You have their divine provisions for venturing forth on into this fallen world to the end until you receive that full reward that is kept in heaven for you. May that be so for each of us this morning, individually and as Grace Bible Church, our congregation. Amen.